Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, she was the last minute replacement on the pilot of Frasier and played Roz after that for 11 glorious years. Welcome, Perry Gilpin, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the actress Perry Gilpin. Perry became a household name when she was cast in the role of Roz Doyle in the long-running sitcom Frasier. Some of her other television credits include Kevin Can Fuck Himself, Broad City, Masters of Sex, Men at Work, Modern Family, CSI, Law and Order, Hot in Cleveland, Desperate Housewives, and many, many more. She's appeared in many films, including How to Kill Your Neighbor's Dog, Spring Forward, Rushed, and We Broke Up. She spent her formative years on stage at the Williamstown Theater Festival, and she returns to the boards often. Um, I am such a fan of this woman because not only is she just extraordinarily talented, she's just extraordinarily kind, and I'm so happy to have Perry Gilpin on the podcast. Hi, Ilana. (laughs) Hi, friend. It has been, so this is what I have to say to you. And it's one of those things where I don't know if it's like acquired memory syndrome and I've morphed like a million different memories of my LA life uh, into this one thing. But I feel like I was at like a very serious round of callbacks or maybe even studio for Frasier. And my last memory of that is you sitting on a curb looking distraught. Like it hadn't gone well. I think I went on maybe six auditions before I went to network for it. So very, very likely. And I was, it was high pressure because I really wanted it. So did everybody. It was, you read the script and you knew that it, even if it never aired, it was going to be the best pilot you ever did. You know, Right, right, right. And then actually there was like a moment where after all of that, I feel like Lisa Kudrow did it for a second. Yeah. Um, so that was actually the first kind of phase of that show. And so when you came in, did they just reshoot those scenes or did they oh, do I, the whole I thing again? A few days before they shot the pilot. Okay. She rehearsed it for a while and then, um, and then I took over. And so what was that moment of like kind of knowing someone else had been there, someone remarkable had been there. Um, well, did it really free good. you up? We, 
no, not really. It didn't feel good at all. It felt terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been on a pilot the year before where someone had been, you say, you know, you, it's, you don't think of it. You don't think that people will go away, you know, especially. And so it's very demoralizing for the cast. It's very, demor- you know, it's, you just feel awful. And um, so it had come down between us and we were, we'd gotten to be good friends through the process because she took a class with a really good friend of mine, not the same class, but with the same teacher. And I had started going to this guy and she had, she put some stuff on a board that were, that was hilarious. So I'd sort of gotten familiar with her, plus we'd see each other. And then um, it was between us at network and we're like, okay, may the best man win, may the best actress win, whatever we were, we totally, we were young and we were both wanted to work and we were very used to this process as we all were and are. And so then she got it and she, sorry, that's my uh, text. She got it. And uh, she had said during while we were, oh, and, and we went to lunch and we argued over the bill. She's like, let me take you to lunch. I'm a working actress. And I'm like, let me take you to lunch. This is your congratulatory lunch. We went to the Daily Grill and I really got to know her. And she was really fantastic, you know, as you can imagine, as you probably know, you probably know her. So then about, they started rehearsing and I was aware of it. And she had said that she was sort of not dating, but that she and her old friend Conan O'Brien were sort of rekindling. They, they were old friends and they, she thought maybe they weren't, they were getting closer, but then he had gone to New York to audition for, to take over the late show. And, um, he got it. It was on the cover of the calendar, you know, section of the LA times. And so I left her a message and said, okay, so now you're both working. Your only problem is when you're going to see each other, but that's a good problem to have, you know? And then I was at dinner. Uh, the next night I'd gone to a book signing at Sam French for a book that Kate, uh, that, um, Oh my God, Gene Hackett wrote Nico Sakharopoulos's partner she wrote a book about Chekhov and Williamstown and Nikos. And it was at Sam French in the, in studio city. I'd gone there. To, she'd signed the book. I had the book in my hand. I went to meet my agent for dinner at Orso. And while I was at Orso, I got a call from Jeff Greenberg who said, do you want to, we'd like for you to come to work tomorrow on Frasier. This was on a Thursday night. And I said, as what part? And he said, as Roz. And I'm, I said, what about Lisa? And he said, well, now I've got to make that phone call. So it was not, you know, it wasn't, it was horrible. And at the same time, it was exciting. I went back to the table and I went, said to my agent, you're not going to believe who that was. And we both ran and ran, we, we ran, we, we got up and left the restaurant. The waiter had to come out and bring us the bill. We forgot to pay. We were so completely blown away. And then I went the next day. And then the good thing was Lisa called me and said, this is your part. It's not mine. I don't want you to feel embarrassed. I don't want you to feel nervous or bad or anything. I want you to go and have fun, which was very and unbelievably kind of her. And then when I got there, you could tell that people were, I felt nervous. I felt terrible. Uh, And, uh, and but everyone was very nice and they knew I felt bad and they're all professional actors and they knew how awkward it was and they made it really comfortable. 
and they were complimentary and we just got on with it, you know, cause it was Friday and we shot on the next Tuesday and we just kind of needed, the, I needed the rehearsal, you know, and they needed the rehearsal. They needed to see if I was going to work, you know, cause what if I didn't work, they were going to have to go on to the next person. So uh, I was also auditioning, I think in a way, you know, and, and um, I think what they really needed that they did not necessarily have in Lisa. I think they could have, I, I think Lisa's capable of doing anything, but I think what I have in a more innate and especially at that time in my life for that, for my age at that time, he, he could be the fish out of the water, out of water while I was the one that belonged there was sitting there telling him what to do and making him feel foolish. Yeah. And I think Lisa was maybe taking a lighter approach, which is, yeah. Or I couldn't do it if I tried. Right. I mean, yeah. it was just so funny thinking about how it has to fit like a glove because you can't lie. Like it, it just has to fit like a glove. And if it doesn't, it's not going to work. And obviously Phoebe for Lisa fit like a glove. And so how incredible, I mean, you think about if she hadn't, gotten cut loose from Frasier, um, she wouldn't have had not just the work, but like the intimate friendships that she ended up having on that show and sort of all of the family that you both got out of it. Well, also these same, I mean, just to take that a step further, the people that I work, the people that created Frasier also created a show called Wings and they had taken me to network for Wings and um, by myself for the part that Crystal Bernard wound up playing. And um, I, they, the, you know, Brandon Tartikoff said, no, you know, probably rightly so, you know, so, but what was cool was that, you know, Crystal Wings wound up really good. I got to, I wouldn't have gotten to do Frasier and Lisa wouldn't have gotten to do Friends. And it's just one of those, and, and you know, it's one of those stories that everybody, everybody won. Right. And it doesn't always end up like that. Right. It doesn't end up like that. So let me ask you, like, in general, do you feel like because luck is a part of this, right? Like you have to be ready and you did your time. And then there's this lucky thing that happens. Like you got cast on the thing that ran for 10 years, like all of those things. Did you always feel like you had luck on your side? I had, uh, thank you for asking me that. That's such a, I had uh, this weird drive. I did not have luck, but I knew, I mean, yes, of course I had luck. Yes, yes. As it turns out, as it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I had this, I don't know. I got kicked out of college for, they didn't like my work. They didn't like my acting. My mother used to always say who was, she'd been a dancer and she wanted to be an actress, but she became a school teacher and she would do commercials and stuff later. And she's like, you're the shyest actress I ever met. <laughs> Cause I didn't want to get on the front row. I didn't, I didn't, I kind of don't want you to look at me. I don't want to be the center of attention unless I'm ready to be, you know? Mm-hmm. A, so it, I don't have those, you know, those, those tendencies that sometimes you know, I'm terribly embarrassed and shy, like all of us are, but there was just something that made me want to do it so much. And I loved the art form and I, I loved learning how to be an actress. And I love what I learned from every time I do it. And um, 
you know, I think I, I think I learned some really bad habits being on a show for 11 years. I, 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 I didn't have to work as hard for some of that time. And I got out of the habit of working that hard. Mm. I've had to get those skills back and I, I keep loving it even more. I mean, it's not like I, I don't go, I'm so bored. I go, Oh my gosh, open this one, open this one, you know? So I guess it's just really wanting and loving it, wanting to do it and loving doing it. So you grew up in Texas and you were like a family that did commercials and sort of, I mean, you were a kid professional. Well, yes. And, and less so even than my brother and my sister, if you turned on the TV, my mom was like Mrs. Baird from Mrs. Baird bread, pulling the oven, pulling the uh, bread out of the oven. And my brother was the DQ dude, you know, and some Gilpin was on TV at all time locally. You know, we called ourselves the Von Gilpin. My mom was, had wanted to be an actress. She went and got her teach, you know, she got her degree in teaching from Baylor university. She started teaching. She taught for about six years and she burned out because she had been a teen, uh, she'd been a, a teacher of special ed in her, in her, you know, when she was a student teacher. Mm-hmm. And in those days, they would combine two teachers with 60 kids. And she just completely burned out. And she went back into acting as, a, as an actress, as a, she, as a model, but she was really little. So, you know, she, she did a lot of commercials. And then as we came into the picture she put us all into it and and so everyone in my family did it it was really and was it fun yeah it was fun it was fun it was fun to go on sets and and uh, I, I studied at the Dallas Theater Center from like the time I was about eight years old on I did less of that stuff they my my little brother and little sister did more of that mm-hmm. Um, I really fell in love with theater and I really mean that I fell in love with theater. I wanted to just live at the theater and the Dallas theater center was the only theater ever designed and built by Frank Lloyd Wright. Incredible. You go through the shop and you just can't even believe how cool it was. It was the coolest place. So then when you get to university and you're a theater major. Yeah. And you aren't supported. How do you negotiate that? And how do you, transition from that feeling of all these grown-ups not feeling like you have the thing and and going forward anyway like how did you do that and what did you do well I because I here's the weird thing I honestly started doing theater at the Dallas Theater Center with the teen children's theater with these fabulous teachers and, you know, for many years from fifth grade until about the 10th or 11th grade, you know, for five or six years, I did every single year. I got to the point where I would take a city bus. Um, my mom, I wanted to take a second class. And my mom said, I've got four kids. I, we can't all. And so I told the house manager, this woman named Chantal Westerman. And she said, well, why don't you, um, if you can come and usher a night, we'll give you a second class. How about that? I was in the fifth grade. I took a city bus to the Dallas Theater Center so I could usher. I saw every performance of Preston Jones' The Oldest Living Graduate with Randy Moore. And um, I also saw a few, there was a, it was a trilogy and I saw a couple of the other shows that came with that trilogy. And my mom and dad would like come get me at 10 at night. It was just so, you know, they really, they, they were invested in my dream. I want to cry. I do too. When people feel that, when people support you in that way, you, you keep going. Yeah. 
And no matter what, no matter who tells you what, you go, wait, this is something I really want to do. So then um, after that period of time when I went to UT, okay, here's what I was getting at. I didn't even yeah. know what the word monologue meant. Like mm-hmm. I worked in television as a kid. I worked at the Dallas Theater Center, but I just had never heard that word. And they wanted a monologue. <laughs> And I didn't know what they meant, you know, so I was trying to learn a monologue. I think I was trying to learn Dolly's monologue, you know, Mr. Vander- <laughs> you know, the one about, you know, where she's talking, it was she talking to her dead husband. Actually. Perfect. Perfect. And, yeah. And, um, you know, and I, and, but they, they just, I, and then I, I remember I auditioned for a movie of the week that Lynn Stallmaster was, was cast. Yeah. And I had, when play- you were, when you were still in Texas, he like, was yeah. scouting kids. Okay. I don't know why he was there. Dallas had become like a place where they shot like 40% of all national commercials. Yeah. 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 The IOTC and some union stuff kind of drove everything away. But, um, but he cast me in this, in a movie of the week where I was, played the guitar and sang Kumbaya, you know, it was some part. And they said that they were kicking me out because I took a job while I was still in training, which was bizarre. I just don't think they liked me. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's just that it was, it was just, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly. So what I did was I wanted to go to school in London with this person I was taking a class in Dallas with was going to go to this school and so I had to have a Shakespearean monologue and a contemporary monologue, which I had. And I called Jenna Worthen, who was the head of the theater department at SMU. And I don't know where I got the balls to do that, but I called her and she goes, uh, well, Perry, you know, acting is a really hard profession, <laughs> you know? And I go, I just got kicked out of the University of Texas yeah. about two days ago. And I'm trying to go audition for this school in New York. And she goes, I'll see you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> and she helped me with my monologue. And I went to New York and Michael Schulman said, you know, you're going to London, <laughs> you know? And, and I went to London and that was fantastic. And basically saw the best, you know, fantastic theater, which is what I needed to do more than anything. I saw lots of theater in Dallas, but not not like, you know, the Royal Shakespeare Company or the National Theater. Right, right, right. Just go and see one thing after the other. And, you know, and we worked hard in class and and that just cemented everything for me. So you called the head of the SMU (laughs) drama department to help you get ready, not for her school, but for a New York university but really you just wanted to go to London to, st- <laughs> to study. Who is Michael Schulman? Michael Schulman wrote a book called Audition or you know, he, he, he put together a book called Audition. Oh, Michael Schulman or Michael Shirtlet? Shirtlet, sorry. Okay, no, that's okay. Shirtlet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Manager, sorry about Michael, Sh- what's his last, Shirtlet? I think it's Shirtlet, something like that, or Shirter. Yes, okay, it was him. Isn't it something like that? I want to, I thought it was Shulman. I've always thought it was Shulman. I don't know. All right. Well, well, we're going to, we're oh. going to, can you get somebody on that? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it called like how to audition or something? It was just called audition. Audition. Yeah. It was like the Bible uh-huh. anyway. So, so you met him or you read that book? He had put together a, he had partnered with a, an, a counterpart in London. It was a shirt left. Shirtliff. Michael Shirtliff for kids at home listening. S H U R T L E F F. And now 
which it was not in our day. It's also an audiobook. Oh. So we could listen to it again. I'd be curious to listen to it again. Maybe it would help me. I feel like I don't remember how to audition well anymore. It might be good to go back to the basics. Yeah, it might. And, but also this had a lot of audition material in it, I think. But so he, he partnered up with an actor on the England side and they created a school for kids to go and study there. So the guy, the English actor was supposed to run that school. There were only 11 students when I got there, but I think there had been more. Nancy Travis was one. Nancy. My friend, Catherine Danielle, Daniel, look. Um, she, uh, the thing that was so great about, the thing that was bizarre about that school was, it was before even answering machines. I mean, we called each other all over the country to try to arrange meeting and ha- finding apartments together, flats, you know, to try to live together. There was no dorm or anything like that. It was in the basement of the Mercury Theater in Notting Hill. And the actor that had put together on the English side had, a, I think, an aneurysm, I think a brain aneurysm right before. And we got these letters saying, we're not sure if we're gonna do school. And then uh, this actor named Brian Carter stepped in and took over. And so I think the curriculum really changed because last time I saw Brian, he was, uh, he was playing the Pope on Father Ted. And he was a wonderful, wonderful head of the school, but he had friends that were like the dance captain and the chorus line who came and taught us all one. You know, <laughs> like we, we worked with Barbara Berry on historical dance and we worked with Guildhall School, uh, a, a speech teacher from the Guildhall School. And we worked with people from RADA and we worked, he just brought all of his friends in. And we, and we you know, he was directing a, an opera in Holland Park and a few of us were, played like nymphs on stage in Holland Park. But like the best time, the time of your life. Time of our lives, yes. So- now let me ask you as, because uh, I feel like I've been with you when like, maybe there's been a glass of wine. And so there's more of an accent, like at certain points, were people talking to you about, because I know you can go deep into your Texan if you want to. And it's much more like, mid-Atlantic in your you know career stuff so is that something you had to work on did you consciously work on it or did it organically sort of soften over time I had to really everyone the first thing people would say to me was you know you have to lose that accent because and I because you sound you're just so regional it's just really going to uh I don't want to read I mean there's I could make a lot of of assumptions about it, but really they just said, it's just so regional. It's just going to limit you. Mm-hmm. And also I can't understand what the hell you're saying. <laughs> and, and more importantly, I don't know what you're saying. Right. And you could be like, well, lean in. And so when do you feel like you sort of began to find your community of peers? Like Williamstown is filled with these icons right that you were getting to meet and they are kind to you because they see how wonderful you are and how invested you are um when do you start meeting the people that become your sort of forever family in this industry yeah Allison Janney and and, uh so many Patty Swanson who's still a great friend and so many people that uh, my friend, well, Catherine was my friend from my roommate in London. She's still one of my best friends. And, you know, those years when you're studying and 
Wait, that's how, because I met you through Allison. So that's how you guys met at Williamstown? I met originally. Yes. I remember Allison taking me to your, an art show of your husband's paintings. And oh my God, you are married to an unbelievable painter. Um, Christian. Yeah. Vincent. Yeah, that's his name. Guys, I'm just saying, there's an actor named Christian Vincent. That is not who Perry is married to, but right. he's really married to like one of the most prolific, beautiful painters. Um, and I just remember being like, okay, I'm I'm not a jealous person, but that seems amazing to be married to an artistic person, but who isn't an actor. That just seems like the dream. Yeah. And I'm sure it's been that way every every moment. It actually is. We're the best of friends and we both, uh, that's what we love. You know, we just love uh, beauty and aesthetics and I don't know, emotion. And we're, so how did you guys meet? Or how did you meet? We met, um, how did I meet Christian? Oh, I met Christian because one of the the showrunner on Frasier is a guy named Christopher, Chris Lloyd, not Christopher Lloyd, the actor, but Chris Lloyd. And he and his wife collected Christian's work. And I would see it there. And I loved his work very much, but I didn't know what he looked like or where he lived or anything like that. I just, you know, and we all were in New York. Um, we were in New York for a Friars Club roast of Kelsey. And Chris said, hey, do you want to go? Do you want to go with me? I'm going to go see Christian. Do you want to go see his studio? And I was like, sure. So we, we walked down there and Peter Casey, one of the one of the creators of Frasier was with us. The three of us made our way down to Christian's loft and the elevator doors opened into his loft, like down on Broom Street. Broom, you could see the cupping room from his uh, from his loft. And we walk in and there's 14 paintings in different states of being done. And then he comes up to us and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, he's really tall. So handsome. So handsome. handsome. Stupid handsome. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, I look down, I can see there's a pool table and then, you know, there's, I'm sure the fornicatorium, (laughs) there's like, so there's a beautiful furnished loft, beautifully done. So grown up. So grown up and I'm, I'm just blown away. And then, and then what happened was um, anyway, so that that's when I met him. I met him then. And that night, everybody else was going to see BB Newworth open in her, her opening night in Chicago. And I wanted to go see her do that, but I, it was Allison Janney's debut it was still in previews but it's tonight at 8 30 her broadway moment you know and i was like i gotta go see Janney on broadway so i i i did and um and so they all met up with him later but i didn't and i didn't get to see him but when i i was kind of dating somebody and he was dating somebody very nice and we were both not completely free anyway and i just got home and i told my mom about him and she goes oh you know I think she died and went to heaven and sprinkled him with something because we you found each other again, each other again. Yeah. It was a great way to meet him because we were both 
doing our own thing, you know, and he lived in New York and I lived in LA and I, I had been in a long distance relationship for a long time and I had sworn I would never, ever, ever do it again. And I wouldn't have, and he didn't want to either. So we, we figured it all out. I have to like, because I posted that you were coming on the show and like the number, you would think Frazier was on the air right now. I mean, the immediacy and the thrill it makes everyone so happy and it's so relatable. And you became like, you had that thing happen where you were on a hit show and you became famous um, and very recognizable. You look like Roz, you know what I mean? It's not like you were wearing funny teeth and a wig and, and then you could go to, you know, Vons and, and go shopping. So how quickly, um, did your life change? Not just the paycheck, which is so exciting to be on a, you know, to be a series regular. Change is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. But like, can you just talk, I mean, just whatever you want to say about that. You know what a monologue is now. I know now. And I, it was just, it was, it happened pretty quickly, but in this funny way, like I remember I was coming out of a, of a building's, garage parking garage and I so I stopped on the sidewalk on Sunset Strip and just this person walked by and went Roz like it was just like that like it wasn't it wasn't like I got mobbed or anything people just would knew the character's name and were always or usually happy to see her you know and I it was the perfect way for that to happen you know what I mean because I wasn't somebody that would you'd mob I think people were a little bit afraid of her they didn't want to get a zinged, you know, and it's like, she could say something quick and right. Unless you're really quick, you're not going to mess with Roz. And I didn't write that. That wasn't me. Yeah. I think I got a benefit from that, but, uh, but it was just really, really fun. It was really fun. Did you know, um, I know you had done a cheers kind of, I remember that, like, I, I feel like we talked about that and you had just been on cheers recently when the Frasier audition started happening. It happened yeah. Um, I think Kelsey said, you should audition for this part. And I go, I, I'm in the middle of it. I am doing that right now. Yeah, funny you should mention it. And if you want to put in a word for me, while yeah. I go right ahead. I like what you see. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly did this ensemble uh, click with each other? I want to say immediately. Really, really, yeah. really, really. Yeah. I mean, everybody was, it was small, you know, it's a small cast. Kelsey had been there for a long time for, you know, nine years on that set. And it, he sort of had a suite of offices. It was a- Wait, way- you mean the cheer set became the Frasier set? Yeah. And I did like the fourth to the last episode of Cheers. So I was literally on that set. And I would say within the month, that set was gone. The Fraser set was built and everybody was back on there. It was really fast. And, um, and he was not that he, you know, he, he was also on stage at all times, you know, cause when you're, when you're working on a, on a, on a multicam, you're rehearsing all day on a stage. So Kelsey was in every single scene practically. So he was usually on stage. So it was the four of us getting to know each other up in what we call the green room. And we just, everybody, we all had uh, all kinds of connections with each other. And 
you know, we've loved telling stories and everybody loved talking and chatting. And we, we, so you guys created your own equity lounge in the middle of this sitcom. Really, and that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think people may even realize, you know, Kelsey was such a theater guy and like started out understudying, you know, roles on Broadway and then became, and, and so studying, I don't know which actor, I think maybe William Hurt in the real thing. Yeah. When he went to LA to came to LA to do, to play Frasier, which was just supposed to be one, a one-off, you know, one episode. And they just loved him so much that they made him into a regular character. But I think he said that Mike Nichols said, you're not going to go out there and do that, you know, and he didn't want him to. And he said he had a big argument with him on his intercom in his building. He said, Mike, you know, whatever their relationship, you know, Mike, I got a kid and I want to go, I want to go get a job like this. I am going to (laughs) go, you know, so he did. And he stayed crazy, but he's that kind of an actor. He's a great actor. But it felt like I was telling you, I watched you guys on Stars in the House, and it was so remarkable to see you guys in sort of real time catch up with each other. Like as the Brady Bunch graphic of each of your faces popped up, and slowly you're like seeing Jane again, and Dan, and and Tom, and Harriet, and, and Bibi, and sort of, I mean, I really cannot believe what a theater-based show that was and I think that has a lot to do with why you guys lasted so long we agree yeah we always said that and also the writers had a lot yeah background yeah 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 but the um and you know uh you know the show called Jeffrey do you remember the show Jeffrey it came through the Geffen and Jeff Greenberg imported every single member of that cast into Fraser Guilt, you know, Edward Hibbert and Harriet and, and, uh, um, who did, Tommy Gowan, was he in that? I think, yes. I think he So it's 10 years. I can't, I mean, I, I've been excited when something recurring actually recurred, but to imagine like 10 years to grow together what was it like? I mean, did it end because it was, did Kelsey want to stop? Did everyone just feel like the show had run its course? No, it actually ran 11 years. I'm sorry. 11. Yeah. What had happened was we got picked up for the, for three, you know, around season eight. So they picked us up for three seasons, which was incredible. Crazy. And I guess, we all felt like we were winding down that last season. So of course, as that season came to be, there were a lot of things happening at once. Everything was changing. We were the last show on the lot to shoot film. Mm-hmm. Everything else was digital. Um, Viacom was changing. Uh, right after we left Viacom, I think bought Paramount. And so that was kind of in the works, I think. I think they were trying to work out, it wasn't just the actors who they'd have to renegotiate with, but it was all the writers and all the, you know, and I just think it just was, I think there was a, I, I think there wasn't just the expense. Cause I think they could have worked all that out. I think it might've had more to do with what was happening with the studio, mm-hmm. but I don't know that. I just mm-hmm. always wondered that. 
So, but it might've been that everyone was going to be really, really, really expensive. And it wasn't just the cast. It was all those writers. The whole thing. The whole thing. So it it was done. It was done. People talk about, I mean, we're in a very reboot moment in, in our culture. Um, Which is so crazy because I know, so. I mean, you just think of the amazing writers out there creating, I mean, there's new things too, um, but how thrilling for people who did love this show, if it were to come back, is that like a a rumor or is that a real thing? Is that something that has been spoken about in earnest with the cast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been discussed quite a bit. Um, I just, I don't know where they are in the process. And when I say they, it's Kelsey's producing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you know, David Angel, we lost David Angel in 9-11. Peter and David Lee are not involved in it. The guys that created the show. Okay. That run Cheers before. So it's, it's Kelsey doing it. And I think it's, everyone's been in lots of conversations about it. it's a work in progress and I think the biggest thing everybody wants is for it to be as good as it was and if it is and if everyone comes to a place where the script feels like wait this is this is worthy of bringing it back then you would do it oh yeah I would love to do it but I don't, I, I also think that that there's a, there's a lot of, um, of um, people that kind of weigh in, I think on the final decision. Mm. A lot of cooks. There's a lot of cooks. Yeah. A lot of cooks. Yeah. Um, all right. Before I let you go, tell me a little known fact about you. I am obsessed with a woman named Margaret Hamilton, not the Wicked Witch of the West actress, but a woman that invented software through her work with uh, NASA on the Apollo missions. And she developed software engineering, invented it as we know it. And I've been working on a documentary about her for about seven years. (laughs) So that's wonderful. You can classify it as an obsession. But I have found her to be an amazing woman that I look up to so much, but also have so much fun with. I was just in Boston doing Kevin can F himself. And I met her, we sat on a bench together with these, with our masks and just laughed our heads off. She's so much, she's such so, so much fun. Perry Gilpin, thank you for being on the podcast today. How joyous to get to hear so much of your story. And also you got a part I wanted so bad and I'm, I didn't know, I don't know whether to mention this or not, because it must have just been heartbreaking, but it was in that play that got, that because of COVID, are you guys getting perplexed? To that? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. That part was so great. And I was so proud of you and happy for you. Oh, you're so and sweet. you got to do it. How do we Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we got to do it and it was wonderful and it was an incredible cast. And I felt like I felt like Rich was really happy and that he saw his play um, done in full the way he wanted it. And we got it up before everything shut down. I don't know. I don't know what Manhattan Theater Club's plans are for it. They had such a full roster, so they couldn't put it back in right away. But we'll see. We'll see. And I hope you'll you'll come see it if it does, because yeah, it's, it's great. 
All right, my friend, thank you, thank you. And I um, I can't wait to see you in person soon. I'll be out in LA and uh, I'll find you. You better. You All right, I promise. Yes. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out, and I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.